0: Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Read along with me on the screen up here. It says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Does a long, peaceful life sound good to you guys? Sounds good to me. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Now I want us all to read this next verse, verse five out loud here. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes, lawyer of the Lord, and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Lord God, we just come to you grateful. Hallelujah. The one who has set us free God, because of you, we can cry out that you have broken every chain. God, there is salvation in no other name but yours. Jesus, you are good. We thank you for your commandments which teach us, which bring us peace. Lord, we pray today. That as we open up your word, God, that all distractions would be eliminated in our hearts and in our minds, and that we can be completely and fully present so that we might hear from you. I want to walk out of this building changed by your word and your truth. We love you. We expect that from you today, Lord, because you are good. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Before you have a seat, shake somebody's hand, say good morning to somebody you haven't met yet today. All right, so growing up, I was a big baseball fan. Do we have any other baseball fans, baseball players in here? It's a dying art, I get it. I loved baseball. I was a shortstop, which meant... That I was that weirdo that when someone would hit a ball really hard, I wanted to run at it and try to get it instead of run away. I always thought it was the coolest thing, picking up ground balls as a shortstop. My senior year in high school, uh, as we're practicing in our indoor practice facility up in Worcester High School, I started having trouble catching ground balls. I could see the coach swing the bat, and it just seemed like the ball got on top of me quick. You know what I mean? Like, if it was was over this way, I just couldn't quite get my glove there. And if it was over this way, I I couldn't get my glove there. I just could not get to the ground balls that I was used to getting to. And it all came to a head when one day I'm down and ready, and the coach swings the bat, and I never saw the ball. I just heard it go past my ear. (laughs) Terrifying moment for me. It was at that point that the coaches really recommended, hey, you should go and get your eyes checked, which I had never thought about. (laughs) You know, being 17, 18 years old, I had never thought about getting my eyes checked. And so I did. I went to the eye doctor, and he put on a pair of glasses for me after the whole fitting thing. And when I put this on, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but seeing things clearly blew my mind. (laughs) I had no idea what I was missing, that sort of blurry, blonde face that was my girlfriend, she was beautiful. <laughs> She's now my wife. I, I was missing out, and I would wear my glasses, and now all of a sudden, as soon as that coach hits that ball, I see it, and I can anticipate the bounces. I can, I can know that I got to go left. I could see the thing coming from a mile away, and it helped me to be ready, This past month's Brainwash series has been an introduction to us, to our church, into an idea of apologetics, or how do we defend our faith? It's a question not just of what we believe, but understanding why we believe what we believe, right? But in there, Pastor Travis, he's, he's done something a little bit sneaky, all right? You've been tricked, you've been duped because he started trying to teach you about worldview as well, and how to have a biblical worldview. Now, this idea of worldview was first taught to me in college. I'd never heard of it. And I took a class in college, and what the professor told me was that your worldview are essentially the glasses through which you see the world around you. And all of your experiences and the things that you've gone through and where you come from, all of those things influence your worldview. But our goal as Christians should ultimately be to have a biblical worldview. It should be to see the world the way that God sees the world, right? Does this make sense? And so, Pastor Travis has been trying to introduce to us this idea of having a biblical worldview. Now this passage in 1 Peter 3.15 has been a foundational passage of the brainwash series. In week one, he, he read this to us, and, and here's what it says. Peter is re, uh, writing, and he says, But in your hearts, in our hearts, we must honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So we need to be able to make a defense. We need to be able to have an answer. That's why we've been trying to teach you not just what we believe as Christians, but why we believe what we believe. But what's so interesting to me about this passage in Peter, what kind of blew my mind when I read it this past week and was doing my studying is that he comes from a place where he just straight up assumes that people are going to be asking you Christians why your life, your reactions, your worldview, your hope looks so much different than the culture around you. Now, he's talking to believers who are being persecuted, who are being murdered, who are being run out of their homes, who are losing their livelihoods, and he is assuming that people are going to look at those people's reactions and responses to the culture around them and say, man, can you tell me about that hope that you've got? Jesus says it like this. He says that believers should be a light in a dark world. Or a city on a hill. Do you guys know that passage? Believers should be a city on a hill that can't be hidden. A light in a dark world for others to look to. I've got a question for you today. Does the world out there seem a little dark right now? To me, it does. The world outside seems dark. And what Jesus is saying is we need to be this lighthouse on a hill that all this dark culture can look at and see that's different than the world around us. Now, we have a dream for this church, and I'm asking you right now, I want you to focus in, and I want you to dream with me a little bit. I want you to imagine a place that is completely different than the culture around us. I would say our culture is more divided now than I've ever seen it. I want you to imagine a church that's more unified. I want you to imagine in a world that is hopeless and depressed and where suicide rates are up and where people are struggling and lonely, I want you to imagine a church that's defined not by loneliness or depression but by hope. It's just overflowing with hope. Where fear and anger rule the day. I want you to imagine a church that is known by peace and joy. Unity, hope, peace, joy. These are all things that we as believers should be. And they stand out like a lighthouse in a dark culture. Do you guys hear what I'm saying? The apostle Paul tells us that we need to be ready as believers Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, we read this, and I'm going to go through it really fast, but he says that God, he being Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, shepherds, teachers to to the church to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We're all saints, and there's a lot of work that needs to be done. We need to be building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the, what is that word? Unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So what, what Paul is saying here is that we as a church, as followers of Christ, we need to be working together to grow up. We need to be working together to become more mature, more unified. We need to be working together to become the type of church That we need to be. And he says why right here in verse 14. He says that we need to do that so that we may no longer be children who are tossed to and fro by the waves, who are carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is what I want to talk about today. To wrap up this Brainwash series, I want to talk about how we as a church need to look different and to be different. Because we should not be a place that just rides along with every cultural battle and wind of doctrine that gets thrown at us. Amen? I mean, we should not be a place that just follows along with the politics and the fights and the masks. and We shouldn't be just blown about in culture. Paul says the church shouldn't be a place that rides those winds. Instead, I imagine a place that's a fortress, that's a stronghold of hope and peace and unity in a divided and stormy world. We've got to grow up if we're going to become that place. We've got to be stronger and more unified and more focused on the mission of God because things are not going to get easier. And now what what we've sort of learned and and what we've been working on is the fact that in order for us to grow up to be that church, we need to really begin to understand what we believe and why we believe it. We've got to have a foundation that is deep and strong so that we can stand up to these battles that culture will throw at us. Uh, Back in 2011, me and Jarrah, we bought a house that had been vacant for over two years. And all throughout the landscaping was thistles. Now, do you guys know what thistles are? They look like dandelions, but they'll stab you like little thorn bushes. They're those little green evil weeds, all right? I don't know how else to say it. And I battled with these evil thistles for multiple years. I would pull up thistle after thistle out of my landscape beds. And year after year, they would come back, year after year after year. I could not get rid of those stupid things. It didn't matter how deep the frost was, they wouldn't kill them off. It didn't matter how hot the sun got or there was a drought, it did not matter. I couldn't get rid of them. And so I started reading up on them after a couple of years, and I found out that a thistle, did you know it grows roots that go 15 feet into the ground? Not only that, it grows roots that go 15 feet across. No wonder I couldn't get rid of those stupid things. Because no matter what happened, they always were dug in deep. They had water, they had life, they had nutrients. As a church, we need to sink our our roots in deep like that. So that no matter how much culture rages around us, no matter how hot, a particular culture war gets we're going to do what the church is supposed to be doing and that's just to keep on growing to keep on moving along with the mission of God now pastor Travis asked me to review some of the things that we've learned over the past few months and and I think that you know it's really important for us because we need to be rooted in this sound teaching and so the first thing that he taught in week 1 was If you guys remember this this difference between absolute truth and relativity. Absolute truth or relative truth. Absolute truth teaches that there is truth that is absolutely true in all times and in all places, whereas relative truth says, you know, essentially, well, that may have been true for you, but it's not true for me, or it may have been true back then, but it's no longer true now. Culture is going to make us try. To follow along with this idea of relative truth, a changing definition of truth. But God's Word paints a different picture, that there is a source of truth, God Himself, who is beyond opinion, desire, time, space. He is going to be true no matter what. And we read about God and we learn about absolute truth in Scripture. And so we had to spend a whole week deciding and talking about why Scripture is reliable. And the Bible truly is an incredible book. It's not just another religious text, it's completely different. Scripture is backed up by prophecies. It is uh, just an incredible, I guess, collection of 66 books written in three different languages across three different continents over 1,500 years. And it has this unified message. It all points to the same thing, which is that God came to earth as Jesus. All of Scripture, the prophecies, the covenants, the histories, all of it leads us up to this man, Jesus. And so if we're going to be equipped to talk about Jesus to the world, we need to have some conversational ammunition, if you will. And so Pastor Travis spent a week equipping us how to have a conversation with a world that's not even sure that there's a God. He talked about the cosmological argument, which states really simply, everything that begins to exist has a cause. All evidence points to the fact that the universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe must have a cause. And what can cause a universe? Well, something that's all-powerful, creative, creative outside of time and space, immaterial, all these things point to the existence of God. He talked about the teleological argument, how you can, uh, you know, if you're walking through the woods and you pick up an iPhone, you look at it and you're swiping through and you, you realize, man, I can make phone calls on this, I can listen to music, I can play games. You don't just think, what a cool rock. No, you see something that's designed and you think, man, this was designed. All things that are designed have a designer. That's the point of the teleological argument. If you look into the complexity of humanity, if you look at you know, our DNA and, and cells and the, the uh, astronomy and you look at how the universe holds together, all of these things are so complex and so well and perfectly designed that it should draw us. A designer. And then he gave us the moral argument, which states that essentially all people throughout all time have had these moral absolutes. It's not just against the law to kidnap and kill a child, it's wrong to kidnap and kill a child. That comes from somewhere, it comes from a place where there there is morality. It points to a moral law giver. It points to an ultimate source of good. This is just another argument which points in favor of a God. All of these things, all of these things should lead us to this place. Our our belief in absolute truth, our uh, confidence in Scripture, our understanding that all of Scripture points to Jesus should point us to a place that when Jesus speaks, we need to listen we need to put on our worldview glasses, and we need to read and see the world the way that the Bible says. This is a biblical worldview. Here's what we read from Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. He says, beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. Matthew ten sixteen. look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. The apostles wrote letters to the churches after Jesus' death to describe their present reality. Paul tells us in Ephesians, get ready. Don't be blown about by every wind of doctrine. Watch out for the deceitful schemes of man. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord, in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil, the plans. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These passages describe reality then, but they describe reality now as well. But I feel like it's just so easy for us to take off our worldview, biblical worldview glasses and live just another day in culture. We get up, we turn on the news, and we go. We wake up, we pull out our phone. We start scrolling social media, the favorite people that we follow. But if we do the same thing with biblical worldview glasses on, you'll quickly see that we have an enemy that is desperately trying to infiltrate us as a church, to divide us, to distract us to destroy us, to destable us and derail us from the mission that God has for the church. Politics, masks, vaccines, mandates, rapidly changing definitions of truth and lies are all an attempt to knock us off of our foundation, to pluck us up by roots and to launch us into the winds of culture. We should be rooted in something deeper than that. Don't fall for it. Stop being a victim. You have to put on your worldview glasses every day. You have to see things for what they are. But I am afraid, church, that we are being blown about by every wind that culture throws up at us. And these storms are not going to stop. We've got to grow up. You know, if I'm going for a hike in the woods and I'm not wearing my glasses, you know, I'm taking my kids out there, I see a little sign on the head of the trail and it says, you know, Deer Crossing. I think it says that. It's a little blurry without my glasses on. And I'm just going to go have a fun hike. I'm going to be walking through the woods. This is my hiking without a care. I'm throwing rocks at trees, taking pictures of my kids. We're having a great time. Now, What if I put on my my glasses, and I'm taking my kids, and I see the sign at the head of the trail, and it says, beware wild lions in the area. I'm going to be going back to the car. And if I have to walk that trail, you better believe I'm going to be read up on wild lions, how they stalk and hunt prey, how to protect myself. I'm going to have a gun on my hip. I'm going to have my kids close to me. You see the difference? Here's what I want you to know. There's lions out there. There's wolves out there. They're trying to get in here. They want to divide us and destroy us. They want to distract us from the mission that Jesus has for us. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which should bring hope and unity, peace and joy. Jesus' last commandment to his disciples in Matthew 28 it was to go and make disciples, teach them to obey all that I've commanded you. We've got to protect that mission, church. We have to guard that. We have to have our glasses on. We need to be able to see the bounces before they come. We need to anticipate what the enemy is going to do. We need to be ready for it. When I was a kid going to elementary school, we used to do back-to-school shopping. Did anybody else do back-to-school shopping with their parents? You'd get a pair of jeans, right? What else did you get? New pair of? Shoes. I always liked getting the lunchbox. You got to pick out the cool lunchbox in elementary school. And you'd see what your friends got. You know, one friend would get Batman and the other would have Ninja Turtles. And, you know, I had a friend that got a Steve Urkel lunchbox one time. I thought that was pretty cool. And inside these lunchboxes, what is there? There's a a thermos, right? Now, growing up, there are two fundamental types of people in my life as an elementary school student. Not jocks and nerds, not men and women. Walkers and riders. Now, walkers are people that walk to school and they are defined as being, you know, rugged, calloused hands and feet. It's just the salt of the earth. And then you had uh, riders who are, you know, pasty and weak and soft. I was a walker, as you can tell. And growing up, my mom, on a particularly cold day, she put a hot hot chocolate or soup into my, my thermos and she'd send me out the door into the howling winds. And it was freezing cold, and it didn't matter what it looked like out there. I was walking, okay? And so I get to school, and there's slush all the way up my jeans, and it's freezing, and I can't feel my face. But I could open up that thermos, and inside that hot chocolate would be hot. Church, we need to be like a thermos that keeps the gospel hot no matter what storms are swirling outside in culture. We got to be impenetrable. We've got to be solid against those storms because the stakes are high. Last week I talked about a literal hell. Eternity hangs in the balance. We can't get distracted and drawn into these culture wars that have nothing to do with the gospel. So I've been dreading talking about this part of the sermon. So all week long, And so what I'm asking for you is is I'm asking for you to hear my heart in this, okay? Because I love you. I love this church. I love the people here. I really mean that. And I know that I don't always say things correctly, and I probably won't say this correctly either. But I want you to think about this. Do you post more about Jesus or politics Pro, anti, whatever side you find yourself on, are you known for that or for sharing the good news of the gospel? How about your conversations when nobody's around? Are they filled with contempt and anger at the other side? Are they filled with love and hope and joy? I'm not saying you can't have opinions. I'm not saying politics or culture wars don't matter. I actually have opinions, you know. Just ask Jared, I'm stubborn. I can dig in with the best of them. What I'm asking you to do is I want you to take an honest look at your life right now, some introspection. Introspection is hard. I want you to take an honest look at your life from the outside in. And I want you to ask yourself, what am I best known for by others? With whatever platform you have, what are you best known for? Are you the anti this or the pro that? Are you in on those culture wars more than you were in, in on the gospel? Peter says this, 1 Peter, back to our passage, he says, get ready because if you are living the way you should be honoring Christ in your heart you're going to be asked about the hope that is in you you're going to be known by this definition of a Christ follower i want that to be us as a church and i got to say i am encouraged by so many conversations i have with people in this church i'm encouraged because your hearts are in such good places they're ask- i have people asking me how can we stay united as a church I'm having genuine, good conversations about things that I disagree with about with my brothers and sisters. And at the end of the day, I don't question whether I can link arms with them in the gospel. I don't question whether they'll throw all those political ideas to the back in order to to prioritize the message of Jesus Christ. I'm glad that I can have that. If you're into politics, if you're into making a difference, go for it. But put on your biblical worldview glasses. Look at what Jesus says in Luke 6. Do good to those who hate you. Love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Turn the other cheek. If someone steals your coat from you, offer them your shirt too. I want our church to be vocal. But I want us to be vocal about that. I want to be known as a church that is unified and moving forward together for the mission of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm proud to call this church my home. I wore my one team shirt, and it might just be because I'm a sports guy, but man, I know the power of when everybody is pulling together in the same direction. I know that power. I want us to be one team. I want us to see those wolves for what they are. I want us to see those lions for what they are. I don't want them in this building Don't let them divide you. Don't fall for it. Now, I don't feel like it would be a David Palmer sermon if I didn't talk about football at least one time. My beloved Cleveland Browns. The NFL season is starting, starting soon. I'm excited about that. I'm really excited that the preseason's over. Preseason is horrible. But I want you to know, You know, those NFL regular season games get intense. It gets real. And it's the same for us as a church. I've never in my 36 years in my life seen a better opportunity for the church to be contrasted with the culture outside the church. Never in my life have I seen a a better chance for us to look different and sound different and act different and love different and focus on the different things you. You're not on the bench. You're in the game. People are looking at you. People are reading what you post. People are seeing what you're about. They hear your conversations. They know. Are they asking you for the hope that you have? The gospel must be first. You got to read your playbook. You got to put on your worldview glasses. Proverbs 3 trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. I know it might not make sense. But we can trust in the Lord with all our heart. We don't have to lean on our own understanding. And we can be a place that brings healing and refreshment. That's who we should be. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord. thank you for this church, my brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank you for the spirit with which they hear your words, Lord, in scripture. God, I pray that each and every one of us will get off of social media, that will go talk to our neighbors, that will see the schemes that are meant to bring about division. Lord, that we'll shrug those off with the shield of faith and that we'll keep moving on the mission of the gospel, one team, unified. Father, I pray that you would protect your church, keep the wolves out. Help us, Lord, to put on our biblical worldview glasses, to hear from you daily to remember that we can have peace because we have you, Jesus. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you are doing in us, through us. Help our church to be a city on a hill, a light in the darkness. Help us to be known as men and women who share the gospel with hope, with peace, without fear, who make disciples. Let everything else fall away. We ask all these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen.